Hello and welcome to another edition of the Viva Bastardo show. This podcast is brought to you by Economy Science, the specialty company. It's a father and son joint. Uh, they've been in business since 1973 and they work on everything from spec Miatas to cars formerly driven by Paul Newman. Uh, they have an incredibly deep archive of brand decals from old races like they did Toner in the 70s, and they specialize in vintage motorsport liveries. Is it liveries or livery? Anyway, they have, they've done a ton of vintage Ferraris and priceless cars with history. Uh, if you've been to any vintage race in the USA, I'm sure you've seen their work. They do paint and vinyl, which is handy if you don't want to ruin your car. And they do any kind of thing, mo dragsters, motorcycles, stock cars, uh, scooters. Well, maybe not. But anyway, check them out. They're fantastically talented. This podcast is also brought to you by Inbound Motorsports. Uh, Rami, the main geezer who runs it, says a lot of you have been reaching out. Please continue to do so. He can bring in cars from anywhere, Japan, Europe, uh, Asia, which is also Japan. Um, he's bringing a ton of stuff. I think uh, there's been a strange peak of interest in Mitsubishi Pajero Evolutions. I don't know why. But anyway, give Rami a call. He's the most delightful guy, and he will be able to find you the bizarre car of your dreams. This podcast is also brought to you by Vital Oxide. I am now gesturing to the bottle gloriously and seductively if you're watching on YouTube. It's a very powerful, heavy-duty odor eliminator. It doesn't just eliminate the odors, it destroys them entirely. Um, it's a surface disinfectant. It kills viruses like COVID-19. Uh, it eliminates mold and mildew up for up to four weeks. Uh, and there's no fragrance added, which is always fantastic because I don't like that fake piney smell. So... Vital Oxide. Check it out, listeners. Ronnie, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. I'm very happy to see you wearing your signature denim shirt. I wouldn't know who you are without it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> and my denim I've, shirt, both of uh, us. <laughs> I've been watching, I, I was watching last night some interviews with you, and I was, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'll be able to match up to the kind of horological orgy that was the uh, revolution interview where there was a multiple person interview it was like a is like a seven person shiatsu <laughs> I, I think they everyone was sort of that i think that was during lockdown and i think way and all his team were so bored i think they had everyone They're like get in on this who's not doing no well, you're not <laughs> doing anything let's get in and interview ronnie <laughs> so look i mean well we, well, well i I don't know if I should explain who you are. Or you should explain who you are. I mean, a, a brief summary is that you have the most, you, I, I think in some ways we're not dissimilar in the sense, but you're sort of a much more advanced version of me. <laughs> I'm the Cro-Magnon well, you, person. You've got that other thing of cars, so you don't focus fully on what I do. So it's kind of ah, different. Do you think that's the problem? It's the same, but, you know, you've spread your, you know, you've spread your energy. Resources. Resources between two different. <laughs> you, you know what you're right you've in a, you've just cured my ailment in a nutshell well you are for those of you who don't justify know justify it now Either, you can justify one against the other at least well well yeah well, i don't i can't really justify any of them because they're all it's all any any kind of collecting is a sort of uh, as a journey well, i was going to suggest you I, I have there's lots of indians who work in your city who need sort of uber cars so if you ever have them lying around <laughs> 
You <laughs> Actually, it would be amazing to do. Money. It, it would be amazing to do an Uber in one of those cars. I mean, how great would it be? Your, your Uber is here, and then you look outside. And it's one of those things. So, well, do you, do you, would you like to? Would you like to explain who, what you, who you are, what you do, what you collect? I mean, you, you've got the most extraordinary. I, I will. I'll join in in the sort of the the, the orgy of adulation. You, you've got the most extraordinary and 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 unusual taste. Um, and for me, in, in particular, as a sort of fellow pathological contrarian, it's such a joy. For me, collecting is really about imagination, and I so rarely see imagination in collections or collectors. I, and maybe that's a terrible thing to say, but, but you have imagination in abundance, it seems to me. Um, take it from there, Ronnie. <laughs> Okay, well, first of all, thank you for your kind words, and I'm humbled. <laughs> I think there's some compliment somewhere in there. <laughs> there but, is one uh, in there yes, somewhere. I've been, <laughs> I've been collecting for, what, for over 30 years, and it makes me feel so old. Um, yeah, and I collect basically from a design perspective. I'm not interested in chronographs and things. They don't really tickle my fancy or excite me. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's sort of grown, and I think the, having the means has evolved the collection um, from starting off buying stuff on eBay for $200 or $300, and especially sitting in Africa where you're, we have that whole dial-up sort of internet, and then it cuts off in the middle of paying, and then you go start again. But uh, yeah, so it, it's sort of grown from there. Um, but and, what and, I, and, the, and I think it's evolved and stuff. Well, well, the, the collecting instinct is always, always manifests itself very early. So... I know, for instance, that I, I was sort of collecting all manner of detritus as a teenager. But what were, what were the things that you started? Was there anything that you started collecting that was, as, a, as a youth that was not watch-related? Yeah, I mean, I collected stamps, and then I had this girlfriend, and I left my whole collection at her house, and I broke up with her. I never got it back, so that was like a big <laughs> blow to me because all my money had gone into it. And you remained celibate <laughs> ever since, Ronnie, presumably. Yes, of course, no. But I've um, yeah. They, look, I collect lots of other gunk uh, along the way, like contemporary Indian art, African art, uh, car mascots, French car mascots from the twenties and thirties. Um, well, Lalique made some extraordinary Deco. car mascots, didn't they? Yeah, the, in the twenties yeah, and thirties. Yeah, he did. Yeah, but I, those are sort of some of them are very. You can probably buy a house in Africa or a, one of your fancy cars in New York, but. Uh, but they're very expensive. I'm not in my league. But, well, I'm also, uh, yeah, they did. <laughs> I'm also quite interested in in your. You have a collection of. Do you collect Maharaja's pocket watches? Is that right? Uh, yeah, uh, it's actually what interests me. Again, it's not the watch part, you know, but the actual enamel um, portraits. And these were painted from about 1870 till about <clears> 19, till they sort of were stripped of their money and you know were left with nothing. Uh, which is about sort of uh, at the end, when India got independence in '47, uh, and these are very sort of photographic-like uh, paintings. And uh, there was one or two Genevan sort of artists who were exceptionally good, but and they were affordable when I started collecting them. And then you know I think some prince in the Middle East took an eye to it, and every auction it came up, you know that that was all gone then. So that was the end of that. <laughs> I feel that's a recurring refrain in any collector's. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> conversation these days is, well, they were affordable at one point. I mean, I feel like you really have to look hard to, to find things that are affordable. You have to, you have to, you have to tear your, your gaze away from what the, 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 the most people are looking at and poke around in the darkest corners. Are you finding it harder to find dark corners? No, absolutely. And, and, you know, like, for example, I, I was collecting vintage paddocks and stuff, and then about four or five years ago, it just, you know, everything was so crazy expensive. And to get decent quality watches of the genre I like. Then I started looking for Audemars Piguet sort of from the 50s and 60s and there you could pick up really really amazing watches for like $3,000. I know it's a lot but it's still kind of affordable for most sure. watch uh, brethren. Well but, I mean the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the idea of affordability is always is that you always have to contextualize it in watches because when now I'm sort of fallen. Well I, I'm, I'm careful I, because then they'll say oh he's so arrogant and you know big-headed right. and spends too much or something so I'm just saying I'm just no, of course, of course man. You have to. You have to. Well, look. Yeah. I mean, I, I blame you entirely in some ways, and you'll be hearing from my lawyer shortly, Ronnie, for, <laughs> regarding my, my <laughs> regarding my total obsession with this whole '70s patek. Because I was looking at what you collected, and I was so sort of struck with. Well, actually, funnily enough, um, two things. One is um, like you, I don't really enjoy going to the horological sausage parties and seeing the same and um, having the same thing everyone else has I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge snob in that way I love to have things that are that I don't see around but but more than that um, I, I, I after I, I started looking at your stuff I sort of I started casting about for things that you that were people weren't paying attention to and that was 70s per tech and and in, and to go back to the affordability context you know these things cost 5 10 15 grand which is a shitload of money but in the context of patek, pateks generally, they are kind of a round of drinks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's well put, <laughs> for sure. So, I mean, what what have you? Are there are there things that are sort of um, appealing to you now that you're looking at, or or are you kind of drifting no, for I, a while I, I, until I, something catches your mind? No, I, I, you know, it's part of the fun is looking for stuff. And, and I spend too much time like on Instagram. And one of the reasons is okay, to learn more, A, B, meet lovely people. And my daughter sort of jokes, meeting random strangers in cities and going out. For <laughs> my daughter makes them, the but, same joke. <laughs> okay. And then, then the third one is, um, you know, you actually get offered. I mean, my, my, I go to sleep kind of sometimes dreaming of watches a lot of times. And then in the morning to get a private message, oh, I have this. Um, so that's the sort of big reward, you know, and satisfaction to be able to find watches in that way um, because people sort of have an understanding of what you collect and offer uh, a watch do you stuff. Do, you, do, you, do you find that the percentage of watches that people say, oh, I thought you'd like this it, and that you actually like is tiny or, or large? No, it, it, no it's, it's probably what I like would be about 5%, but you still have to be polite and say thank you so of course. much. And I try and be... Uh, play, even to the ones who I find rather annoying. I mean, there's some <laughs> couple of Indian ones. This is quite funny. They like every post, and then you get after six months, uh, we're looking for a job, sir. So. <laughs> 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 so that was the whole reason of it. And there I was. Sir, replying. please note that I've liked, your, I've, liked si I've liked six months of your posts. Now, how about a job? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do they send you screenshots of all their likes? See, look at all these posts I've liked. <laughs> It is actually interesting because because if you stake if you lay a, if you place a stake in a very unusual area of collecting like you like what you've done 
or even for my sort of weird 70s obsession you're right that i i often get a lot of people i get you know regularly people sending me 70s watches that they think i like because it's just an unusual thing and when people and then and then they think of you when they see them yeah and i get tagged and that's another thing i do find sort of annoying because then it comes on that sort of feed or whatever you call it and i i try and reply to every thing on the feed and then i get all these tagged ones in between so i quickly <laughs> go to that post and remove untag yourself because i don't i've got this, uh, this disorder of having things you know neatly in front of you so i have to go and quickly then I delete all those posts where they've tagged me and they keep showing up every time someone's liked it. Anyway, these are you are a the... very organized person, Ronnie, do you think? Oh, yes, I am. I, I, oh. I, I, I've got emails for the last 15 years. If anyone said they said this, I said, no, you did not say that even 10 years ago. And I'll flick <laughs> it over to you. <laughs> and, and before COVID, my journeys were planned like a year in advance. And even the driver who collected me at the other end knew a year in advance. It's all a bit thrown. Put me in a bit <laughs> this of a is fascinating wobble. because we are actually. It, I, I felt we had a kinship. I've realized we're entirely different species now, Ronnie. Oh, really? You're a disorganized one, is it? I mean. I, <laughs> you do you well, say that when you do well in Uganda. I do well in Uganda. You say that with a certain sense of repugnance. Well, for, let me ask you this. Um, do, are your clothes arranged in, in, in color? I don't do that, but it's here in, again, in the rest of the world, I have to do all this myself, but here it's done for me. Uh, I'm <laughs> blessed to have someone who does it. And yes, they do do it like that, but they're all denim anyway, so it doesn't matter. It's, a whole, it's, it's an orgy of denim in the, clo- in the Ronnie closet. Is it not too well, hot? It's a couple of dozen denim, denim shirts. Well, I, the problem is that people ask, well, don't you wear suits and stuff? Well, there's no dry cleaners. There are dry cleaners, but if you get some fancy suit and you take your dry and you'll come back a wreck, I'll be in tears. So, no, I don't wear <laughs> in suits. And I, I'm, like, oh. going around in the streets and visiting customers. It's just dusty, and the collars become sort of that reddish soil right. color. And then, I don't know, so it's not for me. And I just... Well, Sorry. Let's actually establish where you are, Ronnie, because I think for those at home, okay. they may be surprised to find out where you are. Okay, home is uh, right with uh, most of the time when I'm not traveling is Uganda, and that's for those who are not aware. It's in East Africa, right on the equator. It's a little landlocked country, uh, very green, very beautiful. The people are amazingly friendly, and in the rest of Africa, they're not. So I'm saying qualifying Uganda is, is exceptionally <laughs> different. So, uh, you know, it's definitely worth a visit and stuff. And it's not commercialized. Like if you go to Kenya on safari or South Africa, where most people go for the first time, you know, you'll see all the roads are paved, at least in South Africa. And if you're around a pride of lions, you'll see like 40 minibuses hovering around. You couldn't go here and you won't see anyone at all. Uh, so it's kind of different. You know what? I have to talk uh, to you about that because I promised my wife I think 10 years ago that where we take her on the safari and then we finally booked it and then covid happened <laughs> so, so i'll be i'll be getting in touch no, with you you must come we have, and we have the and we have the gorillas as well so you can tie the safari up by with a sort of visit to the gorillas um so that's definitely worth let me know and anyone else uh, I, I can do travel and else is watching <laughs> <laughs> So I, I remember I've, we've actually, you're one of the few um, of my, the strange men I know on the internet that I've met, of my, as, as our daughters call them. Uh, and, uh, and I remember last time we met, a couple of years ago, you had shown me a couple of Cartier that you had 
they had allowed you to or to design yourself and i think i was as i look back on it i don't think i was impressed as i should have been ronnie so well, i guess times have changed <laughs> you're forgiven um yeah, well, yeah, we, well clearly i was clearly i was a, clearly I'm a, i was a bit of a bob i mean it's funny like there, there have been watches that people have shown me and i and because i don't really know much about them like oh yeah that's cool and then a few years later i will call that person up and go you know that watch you showed me yeah, i really we all, apologize we all feel that no i, I no, I, but, I, but I, I but, always have go through that as well. But the, but, I, but I want to talk a little bit or ask you a little bit about what that the process is to design a watch with Cartier because it's it's I mean it's got to be kind of the holy grail for any collector to be have that kind of relationship with a with a brand like that. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's that, as you talked of it earlier that desire to be different. Uh, and that's, you know, I think for me as well, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to go somewhere and there's, you know, every man and his dog or everyone around the table is wearing a steel watch or whatever they're called. And so I, I confess I've got one now, so I shouldn't sort of... Do you? Which steel? Uh, oh, <laughs> let's that. have it, uh, man. What watch? I got, which, the, what, what? I, got, I got the Audemars uh, Piguet and it's the one for their 50th animal. It's the smallest one, so it doesn't look like a drug dealer big thing. Uh, but it's, it's actually quite nice. Is I it the like gold it. one with the kind of strange uh, sunburst who, style? No, no, no. I it's the cheapest one. It's in steel. And then people ask me what model now. So I don't know what model number it is. All I know is the smallest and the latest. And it's got 50 on the rotor. <laughs> but, uh, that's my description of it. But they, they were really kind. I think they were doubtful whether I'd wear it or I'd flip it. So every time I post it, I tag the lovely person in, who sold it to me, who had the faith in me. And showed, look, I'm wearing it. I'm by the pool, kind of thing. So they know I'm actually wearing it. Evidence um, is evidence. So, but it, no, absolutely, and it's important. And there's actually I've got another story on evidence. This is so. Sorry, it's off the subject totally. So in the past, I got allocated. There's a regulator when it came out, and there's a big waiting list and bullshit from Paddock. And uh, I remember I, I saw something else uh, in a show, and I had to sell off some watches to be able to afford that. And I walk into Paddock like two years later and they said, we have, you know, we're pissed off with you kind of thing. And I said, well, what have I done? They said, oh, one of the ones you had, we gave to you, you sold off. And I said, oh my God, they said they were tracking. It must have ended up at auction. And luckily when I did that trade to buy that, I sort of sent an email saying, look, I've had to trade in this. And I said, actually, I did send you an email and I bought one of yours. So that was all. <laughs> so so you've been around excommunicated and... Yeah, so you went into your OCD email <coughs> archives then. Did you remember yes, you sent them an email? Of course. I, I mean, that's to, impressive. Like, man. You know, to, to be excommunicated from the high altar, that's uh, not a good thing. So, so how, well, well, let me ask you this. Uh, with, the, with the Cartier thing, did they just send you an email going, hey, Ronnie, you know, fancy designing at your own crash? I mean, no, how no, does no. that so, happen? Okay, so the, the, no, no. so the, the first one I did was before Richemont took over, it was in. 2009 and you know that was the old world and the the guy who sort of ran the bond street boutique you know they they still came home to sell jewelry to you and did things like that and they'd sit for hours on end talking to you and not this rush to sell you something so the the relationship sort of ended when richmond because they didn't want to entertain and they went into this walk in the woods uh sort of where they've made these big complicated watches and it was all whatever history is history and then now they've come back to making watches based on the past and stuff. So they opened up the sort of door of custom pieces. Now, no, uh, re, the custom normally means you can, the vari variables 
of a custom piece of the change in dial color, numerals, and the and the crown, uh, and that's pretty much what custom is. But with me, they've been really ever so kind. So I've actually been able to design different fonts for the uh, for the dial oh, and really? stuff. Oh, really? I didn't know you but designed. The, different and we'll talk about the criteria. Well, but I've, I've not been able to post those because they said, look, if you post them and we get requests, we probably will have to do it for other people. So I said, uh, well, what, what do I do? Sit at home and look at them. So I said, that's actually what's happening. So I wear these <laughs> lovely watches and someone <laughs> look at them myself. Well, Ronnie, you know that if they're not on Instagram, they're not, they don't exist. I mean, you know how that no, works absolutely. now. It's kind Go of on. odd how that works, isn't it? When you buy a watch now your first instinct is like oh, i'll put it on instagram and see what people think it's a peculiar instinct that's happening but, but in a way it's really good because when they when they some, some makes they say oh we've made this specially for you and then you suddenly go on instagram see like five others you say uh-uh that's bullshit <laughs> um, so and everyone talks to each other kind of thing so that, that that's fun but in terms i think what a lot, lot, lot of people ask me is what's the criteria for doing a custom piece and that's the regular custom i.e different right. colored dial and stuff um, they they got to I think you've got to show your passion for the brand. I don't know what measurables there are for doing that. I guess spending money with them that would be an important. I would suspect part of that's it. a very good metric um, of passion. Is is the dollar amount? Yeah, I think, <laughs> there's a, there's, um, a, there's yeah, an index then, linked like figure for passion to dollars. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> with everything in life, isn't it? Um, in my yeah, sadly. World. Uh, uh, so yes, boy, I, I I'm very interested. You said you designed the. Yeah. You, you said you said you designed the t the typeface. Tell tell me a little bit about. Do you have experience as a doing that, or how, how did you do that? No, I mean I, I'll sort of look. I mean it has to sort of be synonymous with their DNA in the you know, and from the of past. Course. So it's wonderful to have lots of books and uh, old auction catalogs. I've got around me like for the from 2000 or 19 the 1990s, all of them, every single one. So. To go through those and see, so those are a good sort of way. And I do my scrawly s sketches, uh, and somehow they manage to. The guy who does it actually, he's a lovely guy, and he sort of seems to understand. But I have to go through this long-winded route of the my point of contact of the boutique, and it's sent to someone, or sent someone, and eventually he gets it. But I managed to meet him one day, and uh, I tried directly, but you you can't do that. So you have to follow the convoluted route. Um, but but yeah, it's it's kind of cool. So you uh, picked out to, you, I, it, was it was it a, was it typography or typeface from a, a watch no, you've seen in an auction cat? Yeah, from I mean from the past because then the, the, that's easier for them to sort of understand. It. And if you modify and change sure. it a bit, it was on a clock to a to a wristwatch and stuff. So and also actually last year they were really good. They t invited me upstairs to the archives in London, where they've got the records of everything they've produced basically since. Uh, day day one i mean for, i never knew they had these in these leather bound sort of uh sort of volumes for example they made over 150,000 brooches every single one is documented and kept and then they had all the drawings that um jacques sort of drew uh you know on loose bits of paper i wasn't allowed to take pictures of course or so i tried to remember some of this stuff i somewhere so they said oh, he sketched this over lunchtime kind of thing it was never made but uh, those are good points. But w w oh, it has to resonate with the DNA uh, of the brand of, you know, of so course. that they, and if you did something wacky, uh, I'm, I'm looking at a denim dial. I don't know if they'll do that. So a de a denim a dial? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, would, that would be amazing. That would be, <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be quite cool. 
I do actually uh, think uh, that in some ways that I, I, I do feel like the the Cartier is in some ways the most um, audacious of the the brands these days. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you won't be able to say anything, but I, I feel like I, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed in Patek because I feel like they're 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 I can't they don't really seem to take leaps anymore. I mean, I feel like the the 70s, for me at least, was possibly, and with, I mean, of course, there's occasional exceptions, but the 70s was the last great decade of, for me, of, of sort of interesting and audacious design. But Cartier, no, I agree um, with you. The, the, like, there's two in particular I'm thinking of. Do you remember? Do you see that new that that cushion case one that's squeezy? Yes, yes. I I, I squelched. I actually, when I went when they took me on the dog and pony show to that, you squeeze it, and after that. I, I squeezed it. It was like a squeegee. Or you know, the, the sponges at the sink you get and <laughs> yeah. full of that dirty soapy water. You could squeeze it. And stuff. That, that, that was so cool. <laughs> yeah, and then also, um, yeah, I mean, that, that I, I just really... I, and then that that watch with the whole movement in the rotor. I wasn't crazy about oh, yeah, the yeah, aesthetics, yeah, but again, the idea. It was really, yeah, the idea. It was it, it was it was very big and stuff. But other than that, the whole as you said, the aesthetics of they had some lovely stuff, and to actually meet the people who make it. Uh, and stuff, and then they gave me a bash at doing the enamel work, uh, so that was quite fun. We sat, sat and did it, and they put it in the oven, and mine just came with like a spodule of a glass <laughs> like of scrambled amalgamated eggs. colours. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they took a professional picture, and I got a lab coat which think... I'll be using for my cooking. <laughs> I think I need to expand. I think my spodule <laughs> is the is spodule the correct vernacular, Ronnie. I don't know. Anyway, it sounds good for the. Yes. <laughs> it, does. it does. I'm going to use that on a regular basis with the child now. Here's a spodule of scrambled eggs for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, so this. Well, what, what I'm trying to think of, of other contemporary brands, modern brands that are doing interesting things. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, either they're too a, sort of wa too wacky and stuff, but. The mainstream ones, I, th I don't know what it is. I think they don't... I understand that when you have something new and outrageously different, the, the risk and, and it's corporate egos. No one wants to be synonymous with launching right. a new product and then have that label that this was the guy who screwed up kind of thing and did this. It's so actually, in some ways... That's I, a big I element if, of it. I, I wonder if in some ways the, 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 the watch industry, particularly in the big brands, is not dissimilar to the movie studios where... That's they're sort of committed to making sequels and sequels and sequels of, of, of franchises because it's a safe bet. Everyone goes to watch it. They make money, and no one wants to make a small indie film because, like you say, they don't want to be like, they don't want it to be a massive flop. And then it's that guy's fault for making the flop. Yeah, and then, and then you you're stuck with that sort of label or badge for the rest of your career, uh, and you probably won't get a job anywhere and stuff. It's the same. <laughs> I mean, when you have products, even here in Africa. Uh, you know, if you do, you launch a brand, and not, probably 95% are failures anyway. Uh, they, you know, go in that graveyard of unsuccessful launches. But you, you've got to have the balls and the risk and the appetite to want to do it. Um, sure. But most people don't. And, you know, well, I mean, th if you think about it, AP it did the AP did the uh, what is it? Code 1159. Yeah, I mean, I I I I I, 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 I gave a, an interview where I. I expressed my reservations and they were quite uh, upset with it and I had a phone call as well and stuff but uh, and but I <laughs> that was the most English thing I've ever heard actually, Ronnie. <laughs> really? but I, but <laughs> when, I, I when, eat when my they... words back because that's actually 
<laughs> when an sorry. English person says, I've expressed my reservations, that's, a no, that's a, someone in America going, this is absolute <laughs> shit, I I'm hate it. I'm being polite, because look, I've, I've, just been, I've just been given a watch by them, so I have to, I'm of respecting course, of course, uh, that. Otherwise of course. I would have said something else. But, um, but, you know, so I, again, as I said, I eat my words back because it apparently is sold out everywhere and stuff like that, and it's doing very well. I don't know what the changes have happened, but... Um, yeah, Are you interested that. at all in independent brands, or, or that's not really your thing? Yeah, I do, but um, I, I've always liked Jern, but I think they cost the same as a, a, a good house in some nice city, so that's out now. <laughs> um, <laughs> a house not. is I the mean, metric for the watch. <clears throat> well, yes, I would say I the, thing, so, the funny it? thing about Jern, for me, is... Um, I, I feel like I, I can admire the artisanship and I can see they're beautifully made and I like the materials, but for whatever reason, it doesn't sort of trigger the the lust index within me. It doesn't activate that thing mm. where you just... I, I, you I, I know what you're saying. Where you want to actually make, spend your hard-earned money. It's not quite... Yeah. There. No, they're, they're, lot, they're lot out there, but I, I think also my fear has been to put my hard-earned money in and if I change my mind, I don't like it. I don't want to lose half of it because I think I work hard for my money and I don't you know I'd rather stick to what I know um, you know and I, I'll get my money back and that's important for me uh, I know when I buy watches a lot of these dealers say oh, he's such a Scrooge uh, and stuff but it's for a reason I mean we, we were kicked out of Uganda quick history of Uganda so we had this dictator I'm sorry I'm tying in lots of irrelevant stuff here so we had this dictator an army guy who took over in 1972 called Idi Amin he had a dream uh, in saying that, oh, if you're not uh, indigenous black Ugandan, you have 90 days to live. And some of us have been here 100 years, and this is home. Just like you Americans, you call yourself Americans, but you, you know, I keep asking when I go to America, where are you from? And they say, Iowa. I said, no, no, where are you from? Like, which were originally when you came to America? So in that same way, um, you know, so anyway, so he had this dream. He said, we all had 90 days to leave. And he threw 70,000 of us. I guess it's like the Jewish people in Europe and, and, and before the war and stuff. So that's always on the back of your mind that if something were to happen, uh, you know, is it something that can uh, be, you can get your, say, you know, your money out of. And also my, my dad, unfortunately, he went through bad times and we lost our money when we were living outside. So I have that in the back of my memory. I don't want to go through that. So whatever I buy needs beyond a certain value. It, I need to ensure that it is a store of value as well. So you need you like fungible that's... assets. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's funny. I, I feel I'm not sure mine is quite rooted in the same <coughs> uh, past, but I feel I I do feel that. For, well, <laughs> I think that a lot of people actually would dispute what I'm about to say, but I do feel that when you when you're spending money on frivolous things like watches and cars, you should try at least. One is to buy something you love, but two is to, to to buy a thing you love that you may be able to get out of it without losing your shirt and maybe turning a small profit if you're no, lucky. Absolutely. No, I agree with you fully. And before, you know, it's funny how the thinking has changed. That if you had said that five years ago within the sort of watch world, you'd be sort of, oh my God, he's talking about value of watches and you know something like that. But now it's okay to say that. You know, it's it's times have changed as well. But it, it, it's so true. I mean, if you're getting a five hundred dollar watch, okay. It's okay, but if you're spending anything in the thousands, I, I just feel strongly that why should you lose your hard-earned money? And that's well, one the reason of I say that people might question brands as well. So, 
Well, the reason I say people Sorry. might question my statement is because when I'm wearing like these weird '70s Pateks, I don't, I don't think they're the most, they're the most elastic of watches to get rid of. No, I think I think they're they're growing in popularity, and you'll look back in three years and say, "Oh my gosh, uh, you know, I don't I have was to a do genius. Uh, Ubering with my cars or something like that." You know, so. <laughs> I'll I'll come pick you up at the airport in one of my cars and charge you a hefty sum, Ronnie. Definitely, yeah, okay. <laughs> So, I mean, do you remember, uh, so after the, the stamp collection, um, w- was there anything else or was there, was there a long period of mourning before you started collecting like, no, other things? Uh, the stamps were for you, I mean, you start collecting when you're at sort of school, and I went to an English boy, so those were things you bought for 50p, that's 50 pence, I don't know, half a pound in America, right. I don't know, so whatever the translation is, but um, no, I didn't have the money until much later, you know, didn't have the... To do so it went from stamps like to watch collecting immediately. <clears throat> no, sort of a ten-year sort of thing in between. Didn't collect any thing uh, in between that. No, not really. And I, I, I admired and <laughs> it was, saw, it, uh, but not. Uh, but what, but not what, tri- what, what, what triggered the what triggered the watch collecting then? Um, I think it just came. I mean, I, I see watches as a piece of art on the wrist and you can't put a painting on your forehead or walk around with that and and for and I, the way I look at it okay women wear jewelry or these handbags I'm told well again my daughter told me that some of these go for like hundred thousand dollars like shocked and fell off the chair but um for a bag <laughs> but it's like you know it's it's just a what besides shoes and and watches men don't have any other way of expressing themselves you know in term materially at least and I and I see for me I look at a watch and it's a piece of art that you're wearing, so I think being interested in art and having something on your wrist and if it's different to everyone else that's a bit of a statement I think that's the underlying rationale I think. Um, but and was it. it was it sort of in sync? Was, were you also <clears throat> simultaneously interested in Art Deco? <clears throat> was that a thing that the watches kind of exposed you to because you were looking at Art Sorry, Deco lost you. era watches? Sorry, I lost you. I don't know if that's my I was asking about the I was asking about the you you have a huge interest in art deco. So is that is that did that come through watches or was that before watches or was that sort of similar? No, that, I, I think it I think it was before because that sort of sort of rolls into the style of watches that I collect. Um, pure art deco, I think is it's very I mean in terms of furniture stuff, I'd find it very difficult to live with. Um, and probably uncomfortable. I like, like, you know, uh, sofas where you can sleep uh, and stuff. And you know, Art Deco ones are more rigid <laughs> and formed and stuff. So you can't snooze on things like that. So the functionality <laughs> of of things is important, not just the looks and uh, you know, particular ge- genre of whatever it is. So the livability for, of for a long. For a long time, I was committed to I was committed to the to the form over the function into because I've always loved furniture, and and probably twenty years ago I was collecting a lot of mid century modern stuff, and it was all very it was kind of like living in an office, it it was all very uncomfortable, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I loved <coughs> no, how it, it is. Looked. Like, like the, that mid century lighting and stuff is beautiful, but if you've got a chair or something, you said, oh shit, I've got to sit on that for like three hours or five hours. So God, it's like sitting at an airport. <laughs> and, you know, and and I didn't realize, Ronnie, outside, that you. I, I, I didn't realize you were a. Com, you, are you a committed napper? Uh, I, yeah, I love to snooze. And, and I actually, this is like really weird. Sometimes 
Uh, not in New Hampshire, when I'm in London, I'll put the fire on and put the air conditioning on to have that atmosphere. So everyone thinks that's a bit weird. <laughs> so I'll have a really chill. What, 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 and even in Uganda, so in Uganda, I've got like two air conditioners in my in my room, and that freezes even all the mosquitoes. They sort of flap down dead on the floor because they just find it too cold. <laughs> and even in the well, office, it's the, good because people don't like the cold. What's with the fireplace thing? And, Oh, the, you know, that thing of snoozing in front of a fire, that's got to ah, be, okay. everyone likes that, isn't it? You know, I've just discovered recently that's, that's for peak, for, that's really <clears throat> up to my snoozing game, Ronnie, is um, uh, I will listen to, you, you ever put on like nature sounds when you snooze, like uh, the sea or anything like that? That's bullshit. I don't. I, that's. I, I have that around me all the time. And I kinda, these, these fucking birds are six in the morning, scoring away. I don't know what they are. Well, listen. Man, maybe them. you need like a New- <laughs> maybe you need like a New York theme. Like you could have taxi cabs honking and police sirens. Maybe I could make you a little yeah. recording that would lull you to sleep. You can send me that and the garbage truck coming at five a.m. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I would last night. The wife put on um, seagulls. <clears throat> And I was, and I said, "What? The, are you joking? Are you How can I sleep? No one can sleep to seagulls." <laughs> it was the worst. I, actually, I was up for. Go on, sorry. I have them in, in London outside my home. They come, they come and tear up the garbage bags and spread it all over. They're such bastards, those creatures, the seagulls, <laughs> and they're great big creatures. You know, you can, you could probably sell them as chickens somewhere. You could dine <laughs> out so on them. Big. A whole family could dine yes, out. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what you're you're based in Uganda, but you do a lot of traveling. So, do you want to talk about what you do, or is that not interesting to the world? I'm no, sure they're fascinated. No, so mine's a sort of uh, mine's an extended family business. So I'm third generation, and I only started working for them till when they said they'll pay me enough. Otherwise, I was doing my own thing. Uh, I just want to qualify that. Um, <laughs> but uh, so our main business. So we 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 were in brewing, and we had a brewery, a couple of them. And then the guy sort of, I, I looked after that, and then we sold first 40% to South African brewers, who are now, who've bought out Anheuser-Busch, and they're the biggest in the world. Um, so when we sold that, I was like jobless for a while. Uh, I worked for them for six months, and I said, well, that's not my thing, working for anyone. Uh, so I gave that up. Um, so the family, going back to the family business, so we produced, the main other thing is sugar. We produce sugar, ethanol, um, and then we're in other things. like We produce tea, steel, glass packaging which I look after there's a whole load of things uh, and stuff and also my job is uh, putting up hotels in India uh, on greenfield sites so that takes me there I don't like the place too much but uh, unfortunately it takes me there so uh, yeah so so you're opening hotels someplace that you don't like no I I I don't like doing business in India because it's uh, first of all you're an outsider and I'm so I'm putting up greenfield hotel sites. I like the hotels. I love what I do. But, What's a greenfield you know, issues site? Like corruption running? and stuff. Uh, buying sort of in a paddy field or a swamp. And oh, I see. Okay. I thought there was a much deeper <laughs> meaning to it. to it. But it, no, is, no, no, it just no, is no, what no. it says on the tin. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to dazzle me with some Harvard <laughs> Business School. Oh, it's a greenfield no, site. No. means it's a reclaimed environmental nuclear waste <clears> site. <throat> No, I haven't got to that stage yet. Uh, but obviously, we do comply with a lot of those people not come and stay, if I say anything. So, but it ticks all the boxes, and we're all environmentally, we do proper and stuff. So, that's cool. Yeah, so it's, uh, and, and, and my model's based on religious tourism. So, I, I sort of did this thing uh, of choosing secondary and tertiary towns and cities where there weren't any good hotels. And Indians basically love to pray 
when there's bad times, good times, they're always praying. If you know, if you're making money, you pray. If you're losing money, you go and pray that you stop. So it's a good thing, and to have somewhere decent to stay when you're going for your praying, uh, it seems to work. I find um, that's actually. Yeah, I so think that's that actually a really genius idea. Uh, 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 are there other people who are sort of focus on like religious accommodation, tourism? Yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's, it's, it's strange. It's since then it's become a sort of a buzz uh, word to sort of have hotels based on religious tourism. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, I think it, it made sense to me. And also, you know, what I saw was that when they go to pray, you don't want to spend 500 or $1,000 a night or for, because you're going there for a function. It's like going on a business trip. You're not going to spe- spend. So sure. there's the value for money proposition built in. And they're five-star. Pro- and, I, and I've tried to do it differently and not your usual sort of matchbox building, which is a marble edifice uh, that everyone associates with. So I've tried to eat at each place. It takes in the architecture and the religion of the temple and the and of the area and build that in into the architecture and the design and stuff. So it's actually very very different and and they're sort of laterally spread out um, with water bodies and things. And everyone said, well, "Why are you wasting money?" And when I started, my shareholders, "Why are you wasting money putting these great big water bodies?" And so I said, "No, it's got to be different." And on hindsight, it's worked out because all the big brands have started coming into there, and they, you know, mine's different. And it, you know, it seems to attract people. Uh, I find that utterly, utterly fascinating, man. It's, it's such a. Yeah. You, you found a you found a sort of a gap in the market, and it's and it's it's kind of inspirational. That, well, now, kind do you of. Have much it, of a but hand everyone in would. The, yeah, everyone would. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, do you have a hand, hand in, the, in the design at all? I mean, other than the sort of the water body. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I like. No, no. Absolutely. I, I like when I get engaged in things. I like to be very much involved. And, and I worked with this lovely firm of architects in Mumbai. They're all all ladies, uh, but uh, and and they're quite bossy in their own right. And so all my guys struggled to sort of, you know, to, first of all, in the culturally to sort of take orders from women. But they they were they're, they're lovely, and to this day I still work with them. And and it was a it's a, it was a two way thing. I mean, I had sort of my way of looking and said, no, this looks too much like a Air India airport lounge kind of thing and stuff. But they took my criticism in the right way and. Put up with my crap, but uh, we got. I imagine your, your criticism is always, is always so softly administered, Ronnie. I imagine. No, yeah, I, I am a polite person. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I probably, I would probably call it the the velvet fist. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's that's fascinating, man. Uh, have you have you are there any other ideas like that that you're embarking on that you can talk about? The because it's it's because um, actually I, I feel like. Well, because I actually think in a weird way there's a connection that, that I think that to how you collect or what you collect because I, you, you collect things based on design but I suspect you also collect things based on what people are, or at least started perhaps based on people not looking in the direction that you were looking in. And with your hotels, you've you found an opportunity that people weren't really looking at. And are, are there any other opportunities or ideas that you're considering that that you feel are being overlooked by the general populace? That was um, a very long. Well, I, I think first of all, like do, doing business in sort of developing countries, it's it's frontline stuff. I mean, you've got to be very hands-on um, and direct traffic. You know, it's not like sitting in some posh office, which is, goes back to why I don't wear suits and why I wear denim shirts. There's all, everything's linked, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's all interconnected. So it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you, it's all about differentiating. If you have an idea to think ahead of the crowd and stuff, and uh, it's, I think there's a lot, well, it is 
you know, if you want to be ahead of the game, and, and every, everyone follows in herds afterwards, so in that window that you have to enjoy, um, it's important to try and, you know, differentiate, I think, you know, It is very interesting. To, to talk, speaking of herds, I find it because I, I always I always sort of refer to in, it. It's a shoal mentality a little bit on Instagram in the context of watches. I mean, there's these massive shoals of collectors, and it's steel sports Rolexes, then it's AP, then it's you know FB Jean, so, and the shoal kind of moves en masse. So, uh, what shoals? What sort of? I mean, for instance, remember when there was a green dial thing happening for a while? I saw that, and then, and then every dial. In fact, it is until recently, I think, and, then, and everyone in the Middle East likes green because of, I understand, the connection with the religion or whatever. And it was green, and then I think in the South China, I don't know how you call that area, it was all sort of reddish dials, maroon dials, and stuff. But right, uh, yeah, it's kind of so. There you, is uh, do, you, trend. do you see any? What do you? I'll I'll, I'll tell you what I've seen, uh, particularly in the independent watch uh, space that seems to be happening is. It's a it's a, an abundance of <clears throat> little tiny subdials floating above a skeletonized movement, and everyone seems to do it now. So, have you have you identified it? <laughs> yes, I've, I've, now you've said it. I no, I notice, and every time I'll see one, I'll think of you as well. But yes, absolutely, <laughs> it's really a curse. Thanks, well, Phil. Well <laughs> I've given you like a, a, a I've given you a, a mental athlete's foot <clears throat> infection now. So what what do you? <laughs> that was a very strange analogy. So is there anything you can think of that that seems a bit showy or a bit herdy that springs to mind? No, I, I think the the different colours is one of as you said in the beginning. Uh, but it's strange. But just talking about colours, I mean the guys at this Dubai Watch Club they did a Cartier limited edition. And the numerals are all in Arabic, and I sort of they convinced me to buy one, and it was a steel one, so it's kind of affordable, and it's even got my name engraved in Arabic on the side. I don't know where I'm going to wear that, but anyway, it's a nice thing. Well, I guess, funny enough, I mean, have, I feel like but, uh, Arabic numerals are a bit of a thing, actually. There's a real, there's a kind of a uh, of, of proper real... Arabic numerals in in Arabic, or you mean no, no, well in Arabic, font? yes, in Arabic. Sorry, yeah, not yeah, yeah. There's something. To, there, mm. there seems to be that I, seems to be a bit of a fetish for people. Yeah, I guess it's exotic, isn't it? And yeah. it's a form of differentiation again. So maybe, it, that's, but but if all it, the watches are like that, and I think they've done one. What's that, Frank Muller or whatever? He's done one to sort of come out of the grave. Probably let's find a franchise <laughs> in the Middle East. Let's he's do Arabic from the crypt. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I'm not a Frank Muller fan. I I I I don't. I just I'm totally baffled by it, that his design sense but in, in, in his heyday he did have some I remember there's one called Crazy Hours and I, and I remember going to Singapore I never had money to buy something I, I bought a fake one for two hundred dollars, I think some, I still have it in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> but you put it up on eBay right away. The, no, because the hours aren't crazy. They just the it's just printed like that. Oh, I see. It's like when I when I could when I when I couldn't have a car. The the the, the, the you're talking of the cars. The thing in thing was a Golf GTI. And I bought the normal one, and I stuck the GTI badge on on the back and stuff. <laughs> and you know, do you remember when the phones came out? There were these great big things, and I had a dummy yeah, one. I'd keep in a traffic light. No, it was a big. It was like a big, great big thing. I don't know, like a a, a brick times three. Uh, the phone with a great big area. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the cordless phones. Yeah, uh, so I even bought a, dump, a toy one. I'd keep it in the car, so we were traffic light. <laughs> so listen, would you be? Uh, that is genius, man. So let me ask you this, man. Would you? So would, at the lights, would you have fake conversations? 
Yeah, of course. That was if you saw a nice bird talking <laughs> in the car next door. That was the point of it. So <laughs> it'd be too sad remember. talking to yourself otherwise. <laughs> How come you've never gotten into? I guess living where you live, probably there's not much of an interest. There's not much chance to get into cars. They've never appealed to you at all. No, I mean the roads are so fucking awful. They look like craters, you know. And unless you have a four-wheel drive, uh, it's not going to last long. So what, once when I was very young, I made some money in some particular deal, and I went and bought a Mercedes SLK, which was a big thing for me, a brand new one too. And then sure. I never used it; I kept it. And then I remember I went to India and I got one of these dashboard cleaners, which was the same brand as the European one, but this was a Indian one. And I thought I'd save some money, and of course I I put it on here. And within a week, the whole dashboard had melted, and all the trim had melted. It was sticky. I just cried and cried and cried. I didn't want to see the car. I never sat in it. And then I sold it, actually. But I never got to use it. Because I was just, you know, when when something like that happens, you feel I was so distressed by the whole thing. Uh, that was the only sort of low car uh, I've had. But the rest is, uh, you know, it's been your Shogun, your Mitsubishi. We call it Pajero here. So it's, I think it's it's, they've the morphed have, into the Shogun. The, the one I have is also Pajero. Pajero. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what that means in yeah. Spanish? What is that? What does it mean? It's a Spanish. It, Pajero in Spanish is a slang word for for wanker. Oh really? I, no, 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 I don't think anyone knew that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's called in America. It's called the Mon, It's called the Montero in America because they didn't want to sell the Mitsubishi wanker. <laughs> That's so funny. I should make the sign bigger. I've still got one for buying the veggies and stuff. <laughs> well, look, I just—I guess we've had—we've had a—we've had, a, had an hour or so of blather interrupted by some by uh, some dodgy internet. But I just want to say, Ronnie, it's been such a delight having you here, and and, and thank you so much for, for yeah. I mean, it's always it, look, it's always fun talking to you. You have such a good sense of humor, and you've got one or two okay watches, I suppose. So it, <laughs> <laughs> but we, honestly, we must meet up when I'm there next. We'll, we'll go out for a glass of Ribena. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, thanks again, Ronnie. Ribena it was a real honor. It was, it, it, was, it was a joy having you here, man. Thank, thanks for talking thank to you, us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Your collection and everything else. So thanks again, man. Thank you. Take care. All right. All right. Bye. Bye, Ronnie. Bye.